Plan for Battle Day by Day, a ministry of LifeBridge Church. Welcome to our Men in Action at LifeBridge Church podcast. Today, we're listening to the testimony of Steve McLean. My life verse uh, goes like this. He lifted me out of the mud and the mire, and He set my feet on solid rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a praise to our God. This to me, if you took everything else away in the Bible, this absolutely describes me. I have a hard time, like when I just hear Steve brag on me a little bit there, I honestly can't believe God has brought me from where I started to where I am. At the end of this, you should, have, you should draw a few conclusions. One, there's hope for anybody. And two, you might be part of that hope for people. Because I'm going to talk about a few people that, have, that God sent that made all the difference. Let me tell you a little bit about the mud and the mire first. Okay, I am a McLean. If you were to go to South Jersey, and you, I was an, announced myself as a McLean, um, there would be disdain. Um, the McLeans are widespread throughout Southern Jersey. Uh, very bad people. Uh, very bad reputations in trouble all the time, uh, blazing, violent alcoholics, um, very, just a, a very, very bad for generations. All the cops know the McLeans, um, lots of jail visits, uh, just really bad people. I, I'm, a, I'm kind of ashamed of my last name, so it's amazing when I come to a place like this and people think so highly uh, when they hear that name. Um, generations deep, my great-grandfather, I don't know exactly what this story was, but very, very violent man, the terror of something they used to call him. My grandfather uh, that I knew on my father's side um, was domestic violence, horrible to my grandmother. Um, my father uh, he, had, he had three brothers and a few sisters, all alcoholics, all beat their wives. Um, uh, and my mother fell in love with number two son of that family, Richard Earl McLean, who followed suit, um, beat my mother constantly. I was... I was born, I was one of three, the first that were, were born. Um, now, my mother was only 19 when she gave birth to me. He was 20, so no maturity at all. Uh, my mother came from a very loose Catholic background, twice a year Catholic, um, which we ended up being. My father was a Presbyterian, theoretically. Um, he was in the Presbyterian church twice. One for his father's funeral, and once for his. Um, the, the house was uh, 
was very bad. Um, this is actually the only picture I have where my father is holding me. Um, I have a couple more where he's standing next to me. Um, very, did not like kids. He just, he actually didn't like anything but drinking. Um, very, very uh, tough guy to deal with. But I put down the bottom there, but God was on his throne. Through, through my story, and I'm cutting it way, way down just because of the time we have here. But boy, it, it, it truly is amazing to me looking back how integral God dwells within our pain and suffering. I don't understand how he can stand there next to us and go allow us to go through that. I, I really don't understand that completely how a loving God can do that but I have certainly had that in my life uh, a, that exact experience of knowing he's there and leaving the evidence that he's there but thinking oh my gosh I don't know how he can handle watching his kids go through some of this stuff he introduced me uh, at St. Thomas Catholic Church to himself um, like I said, we were twice a year Catholics, Easter and Christmas. Um, it was in my first communion classes. I found out a few things in that class. Number one, that sin was bad and it hurt God. And I remember relating it to my house, thinking, man, he must hate my house. But I also learned I was loved by God. He was always with me. And the number one thing that I learned, that I remember, is that I could talk to him anytime. Anytime I could go, regardless of how bad it was, regardless of how alone I felt, I could talk to him and he would listen. Which was very, very important. Oh, let me go back for a second. I want to show you something. If you look very closely, this is a picture of my first Holy Communion. My father went to the Catholic Church one time, and this was it. And he didn't even stay the whole time. So this is a very rare occasion here. But if you look very carefully, right there is a little prayer book that they give you in the Catholic Church. And I'll tell you, I loved that prayer book. Um, I found it. <laughs> I looked for two hours for it on Tuesday. Um, I actually had given it to my son Josiah because that boy's going to be a preacher. And uh, so I think he would, he's going to take care of this for me. But uh, let me tell you why it meant so much. This is my house. This is 138 Washington Drive, Brigantine, New Jersey. That's my bedroom right there. Um, kind of scary to look at a house like that because I look at a lot of houses as I'm driving through neighborhoods and know the unbelievable atrocities that went on in that house. Um, 
right down the hall, if you went down the hall, that was my sister's bedroom, and across the hall was a bathroom. Where after a beating one night that my father gave my mother, she went up and slid her wrists. I heard a strange noise come from my bedroom, and I went, I found her. Ran across to the neighbor, and they saved her, but that image, I was, I don't know, nine, eight, something like that. There were so many beatings in that house. Uh, my brother, my younger brother, was born early, bleeding from the ear, at seven months from a beating my father gave my mother um, when she was seven months pregnant. Um, and he was a little slow from it, and my father couldn't stand it. And, and that poor kid got more beatings. I mean, to the to the point of drawing blood a lot. Um, I mean, he's homeless in Longmont, Colorado, here right now, someplace, because he's just. My sister was in a mental institution for years. She's, she is still just loaded with drugs just to have a kind of a normal life. Uh, that house, I mean, if, if Satan dwelled any, at any house, it was in that house. I slept with this little prayer book. And this is how I know that God... You know, as Steve mentioned, this predestination thing, you know, it's in Scripture, so I can't doubt it. There's some, there's some degree that God somehow selects. Um, I think it's due to His ability to see us from beginning to end. He knows. But there, there's also um, this aspect of choice, um, of of early on, and I had made a choice, I am not going to be like these people. I'm not going to do that. And there was a, a prayer in here that I loved, that I still love, and it's called the act of contrition. And this, is, this goes to another aspect of, to our scriptures where he says that, that the Father draws us. And the first thing that we have to do what when we give our lives to, lives to Christ is what? Repent. Right? The act of contrition goes like this. Memorized from way younger than these guys. Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for I have offended thee and I detest all my sins because of your just punishments. But most of all, because I offended Thee, my God, who is all good and deserving of all my love, I firmly resolve, with the help of thy grace, to sin no more and to avoid the near occasion of sin. I love that prayer. That was the Father's drawing, his first drawing to my heart. And I did not want to hurt people like I was surrounded with people. I mean, my mother was a 
heavy drink or two at the time. There was just no place to go but to this book. The fighting was horrible. My mother attempted suicide, told you. The last beating my father gave my mother, he broke her ankle, a couple of her ribs, and her jaw. She was in a hospital a lot, even prior to that. But the cops would come, and it's the McLeans, and and half of the guys were kind of in with the McLeans. It was back in the days of kind of crooked cops, and where domestic violence was kind of looked over and and it was just uh it was years and years of it but finally um my grandparents came in and we all went to live with them because it got it got very bad my my brother um was severely beaten my head was put through a drywall uh wall and um and the divorce ended up finally happening when i was 10. But you know what killed me to see my dad when I realized what was happening walk out on me? I remember him walking out of the house. I think that's my dad. Now I knew no better. I thought everybody's life was like this. It's so weird as kids, you just accept the life that you have as normal. We moved to Pleasantville, which was anything but pleasant. It was uh the lowest level of poverty in that area it was all black school. My brother and I were the only white kids that went to that school, and we got hammered uh, almost daily. If it wasn't for God sending Big J, Big J was a kid. I think he shaved in eighth grade. I mean, I don't know how long. I don't know how long. He huge guy, and for whatever reason, he liked us. He liked me, and. My brother Richard, he kind of came along as a package. And, and he, would, he would stand up for me. I was like, oh, I love Big J. You know, it was like my, my first depiction of a savior in a way. Um, and he was really funny too. Uh, but I lost my dad. I lost my school. I lost friends. I lost everything. I, it was weird going from a house where we were... It was a nice house comparatively to, to welfare and food stamps and one meal a day, share a bowl of soup type thing. Um, and, you know, to give you an idea of the, the stone heart of my father, one day uh, I was at the beach with my mother and uh, my brother, and she says, Stephen, come on, come over here, look. And she points through the crowd, all the people on the beach, he goes, there's your SOB father. You ought to go over and say hello to him. Now, after the divorce, he came by every once in a while. I mean, I used to wait for him, you know, on the weekends, and he came for the first few weekends, but then I'd wait and wait and finally give up. He didn't come, and then eventually he never came at all. And I hadn't seen him in probably a year and a half, and there's Dad. And, you know, my heart jumped, and I was maybe 12. And, uh, and I thought, okay, I'll go see Dad. So I, uh, I snuck around kind of to the side of him. And as I came around, and he was laying on the, on, the, on the blanket there, 
and he had his girlfriend, whoever she was, and she was sitting on one of those short chairs, you know, at the beach chairs, kind of looking out at the water. And I came up sideways to my father, who was like this, you know, with the big gold 70s medallion and the, the um, aviator, reflective sunglasses, his, his look. And I could actually smell him. I remember he used to wear Aramis. And uh, I could smell him, like, oh, that's Dad. And uh, I said, I said, Dad? And, and in between the glasses and his face, I could see his eyes shift. So I know he heard me, but he didn't look at me. I said, Dad, it's Stephen. One more time, I said, Dad? And the, and the girlfriend just gets up and walks off. So I, uh, so I just left. And my, uh, my biggest question was why? Why, God, why do you, why? And in losing all this stuff in my life, it, to me, I, I, I remember feeling like I lost, all I could say is my lift. Like, you know, I, like the pressure of an airplane lifts under its wings. I, I had no lift. I didn't want to do anything. I had lost everything. My, I just didn't care. I was kind of angry kind of lost, but God was still there. If he wasn't, I wouldn't be here, right? There were three Steve lifters that came into my life, and they all deserve an hour, but I'm going to run by, by the first two rather quickly, and boy, it makes me feel sad even just to say that. Number one was my grandfather. Stephen Joseph Carl, was, I was uh, named after him. He had two daughters. He always wanted a son. When the firstborn grandson came along, I got his name. And I just, my grandfather was my hero. He was not religious, uh, but a very gentle, kind man who um, taught me to fix things. And he brought me fish. And he did all the grandfather stuff. And, uh, and as the life got so hard, they stepped in and they were kind of, like I said, gentle people. So they didn't, they didn't step in probably near soon enough. But when they did, it was an oasis for me to be able to go to Mama and Pop-Up's house. Uh, they, they didn't fight. They drank a lot, but they didn't fight. Uh, they were proud of me. You know, that was a very rare feeling to feel somebody that was proud of me. Um, they encouraged me, and my grandfather, is, uh, he had a thing hanging in his Volkswagen Campmobile, which uh, was Don't Quit. And I memorized it as a kid. It was weird. It was, a, it was a poem that I memorized as a kid. I loved it. And again, this is God, I think. I didn't have scripture in my life, so he, he helped me in other ways. And uh, what was really strange about this, just less than a month ago is my birthday, and, uh, and this Don't Quit thing, 
I got it for my birthday. My oldest son gave me a framed thing of this don't quit thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so, so cool. Um, but that, that idea of don't quit, regardless of how hard it is. If you guys read that poem, I'll spare you. But it's, it just says, do, rest if you must, but don't you quit. My grandfather stepped in. You guys are some grandfathers in here. I just want to encourage you. If you have kids and grandkids that are they're, they're suffering and you know it, don't be afraid to step in. If my grandfather did not step in, I would there's just no way I would be here. There's just no way. Um, you, may, you may not feel like it's your rightful place, but sometimes God sends you. So don't be, don't be scared of that. Um, the other Steve Lifter was my grandmother. Now, my grandmother was unbelievably supportive. She thought I was the greatest thing in the world. At least that's what she made me feel. She used to just... My favorite thing that she did was she would come and just sit and watch me do whatever I was doing. I could be doing homework. I could be fixing something. And she would just sit and smoke <laughs> and, and watch me and talk to me. It gave me a feeling like someone, you know, looking back, cared. She, she wanted to be with me. And uh, she, she was just always there. She, she, it was hard when she died. I mean, her, her, her last, not her very last words, but as she got, she got bone cancer, got really bad. But she looked at me, she goes, and, and I was married now and in my 30s, she goes, I guess our love affair is over. Because she had to go to Ohio. I was down in Florida and I had to put her on a plane because she had to go get treatments and go live with my mother. And it was really hard to see her go, but she was a real Steve Lifter. And I lived bigger than I was because of her. She thought I was bigger. So I tried to not disappoint her. But this is what it's about here. This guy, Sonny T. He was a boss of mine. I got hired, I worked for him. He was bigger than life. That picture kind of describes, he was always like out there and just so confident and so just bigger than life. And uh, again, he had, he had three daughters, never had any sons. So when I got there, after he initially got over my constantly asking him questions, which he didn't like. Um, he adopted me almost like a son. I, I mean, like a son. Uh, we, were, we got so close. We, we ended up pounding around for 26 years. I mean, he, he came in. Now, he was a Christian, um, but not a good one. 
he claimed that you know, he had a mean, mean faith in Christ, right? He was this guy that just believed. He says, when I was saved, the, when the preacher prayed over me, the heels of my shoes blew off the back of my, my and my heels blew off the back of my shoes. That's what he, he told me. But he never went to church. He, he had some raunchy, horrible jokes. I said, Sonny, you know, as I got older, I'm like, Sonny, you can't tell people that kind of stuff. Um, but had a very rough, rough childhood. But man, did he really believe in me. Oh my gosh. He would brag on me. He built me up like you would not believe. Um, and he actually took me to my, uh, his boss's church. And at 16, I gave my life to the Lord. And that's a whole nother story. And I wish I could tell it, but I can't. Um, but uh, very emotional, very uh, real, but boy, it didn't take root. Didn't take root for about seven or eight years after. Uh, but that's another story. Enter in from a young adults group at the Catholic Church, um, Cindy, my, my wife, my wonderful gift from God. Um, supposed to take that out that was a I got bit by a heel monster and almost died <laughs> don't, don't ever get bit by a heel monster I dated Cindy uh, through all almost all the way through college telling her that I would consider marriage after after graduation no intentions of marrying anybody After all, I was a McLean. I had it in my blood. I was going to beat my wife. That's, I knew that. I, all, I had the violent temper already, so I knew that it was in me. I was going to hurt her. I was going to be a horrible husband. I was going to be a very, very bad father. And I remember... Her, her parents hated me right, right from the get-go. Um, and I don't blame them because uh, I don't blame them. She says, you know, God sent you an angel. And I thought, you know, I can't do this. I can't do this to her. And uh, we were in Arizona at the time, but I bolded. And uh, I... I, I broke her heart, but I told her, you can't marry me. I am so sorry. You just, you, your life will be horrible and I'll be the cause of it. So I went back and, uh, but God was waiting for me on the other side in the form of Sonny T. I called Sonny. I said, Sonny, come back to Florida. He goes, oh, really? He says, when? I said, next week. I was good. I got a job we can do together. He used to always bring me in. He used to fly me in to do air conditioning jobs and installs and stuff. Not because I was so great. It's just because he was so great. And, uh, and uh, he said, I got to go put an air conditioner in my mother's house up in Illinois. You can drive up with me. I said, okay, I'll be there. So we were driving up. Um, and, and this, 
This is a time where God uses somebody to step in and and completely transform your life. And the silly picture that I have in my head of this that God gave me is this giant, giant boulder, heavy boulder that you could never move, balanced on like a little titanium marble. Balanced so well that you could turn a massive, massive object with with very little effort. What happened with him that I'm going to describe right now was the turning of my massively broken life. We were driving up about, I don't know, we're a third of the way maybe to Illinois from Florida. And uh, he goes, so where's why didn't Cindy come with you? He, you know, he had been following me through all my girlfriends and um, ridiculous girlfriends. And, uh, and I told him, I said, I left her. He goes, why? Well, she wanted to get married. He's like, so? I said, well, Sonny, you know me. You know where I come from. I can't be married. I can't get married. Because you know my, you know, because he heard all the stories of my grandfather and my my father and his brothers and all that, and uh, and now Sonny didn't get mad often, in fact never at me that I could remember, and he pulled over that we were going you know seventy mile an hour down the road in the highway he pulled over the shoulder road and he threw that the thing in park and he spun around and he looked at me, and. And he and the God wrapped his words in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and blew a hole through me. He said, Steve, you do not have to be your father. And God took those words. I remember it now. I mean, I remember the feeling. And it was like, they were so powerful. They echoed through me like a thunderous roar in it. And I felt, I don't like chains break. Things that I believed all my life that were lies shattered. And for some reason, even though all my life I always believed and I had no reason not to believe anything else, that rang as truth. And I was so confused by the fact that I knew it was truth. He, he said, you know, you have found a good girl bearing that trash you were dating before. She's a good woman. You are a good man. You will be a good husband. You will be a great father. And that rock that immovable rock, that generations deep immovable rock shifted. He was not a theologian. He was not mature in his faith. But God used him he used him so strongly that someone that refused, that thought, no way would I ever be married. 
These are my ten kids. Because God spoke to me and he, and, he, and he said that you will be a good father. In fact, you're going to be a good father. So good that I want you to accept every little face that I send you. It was the most scary thing I ever heard of God that I ever heard from him. I told Cindy, and she was equally scared. But now I look and I think, oh my gosh, how would it be any different? I look at the mantle and I look across all these faces and I think, where should I have stopped? I mean, if I would have stopped at three, oh my gosh, all the faces that I love that would be missing from my life. It's killing me now that they're all leaving. Half of them are out of the house and I got a lot of empty seats around my table. But here's the deal. God is there. Your story of how He brought you around, now you're preaching and people are being moved by God's words through you, through your start, my start. And there's a lot of other people who have this, these stories like this. And I agree with Steve. We need to be telling them. This is the evidence of God in our life. And not only is it evidence, because that's what they're screaming for. That's what these young guys are screaming for. They ask you, why do you believe in what you do? It's a big book of fairy tales. Why do you believe in such an old book? You know, there's no God. I can't feel him, touch him, see him. How, how come you believe in that stuff? There's no evidence. Science has evidence. Well, there is evidence. This is evidence. Right? These are the things we have to talk about. Because it, it brings people to faith and then it strengthens the faith of people that already have faith. And then it also projects them into action. Like hopefully there's some people in this room that are going to be moved to step in where God's calling you to step in. So anyway, that's part of my story. And uh, it's, it's a powerful part of it. And, uh, and I just know that um, God does take you from the mud and the mire. And He puts your feet on a solid rock. And He puts a new song in your mouth. That you would bring glory to Him. And many would come to Him through it. And that, that is a story of, partial story of where I've been. Thank you for listening. May God bless your day. We'd love for you to join us next week in person on Tuesday evening or Thursday morning for our My Story series or join us for our next podcast. Until then, God bless.